Welcome to episode 130 of the Scarlet Faithful Podcast. I'm Aaron Brightman coming to you on Tuesday, August 8th. Didn't have a podcast on Monday. I did have a bonus podcast on Saturday doing a full roster review. Uh, ended up with the, the kind of news cycle on Monday. The roster was officially announced. I covered that. I also wanted to address um, just Big Ten expansion, conference realignment, and also the athletic article that came out about Rutgers. So I wrote a big piece there. But back with the podcast on Tuesday and wanted to take this opportunity to look back. Now that the roster is set, Rutgers is set to travel overseas to Senegal and Portugal Tuesday night. I thought it was the perfect time to look back and go through the absolute crazy timeline that was the Rutgers offseason for men's basketball. Uh, it's unprecedented in terms of all the things that happened. Uh, there's plenty of things that didn't happen along the way, uh, but I wanted to go through just all the different events and news and players leaving, players coming, players committing, players decommitting. It was wild. And I just wanted to kind of walk through that and give a full rundown of how we are, where we are now with the 2023-2024 roster. So not to relive any too much pain, but the season ended officially. The 22-23 season ended on uh, Tuesday, March 15th, following the loss to, to Hofstra in the first round of the NIT, two days after being left out of the NCAA tournament. So obviously the offseason started in pretty rough shape. That was a rough last month of the season and went into the offseason with knowing that there would be lots of change. We knew Caleb McConnell would be gone. Uh, we knew that, uh, well, we learned pretty quickly that some players at the end of the bench were transferring and we knew it was an important offseason. No one could have envisioned the offseason, the manner in which it was conducted uh, and was really unique for Rutgers, for college basketball, and just the, the entire cycle, the way things have changed with the portal, transfer portal, with NIL. So on the season ended March 15th, a week later, Jalen Miller declared that he was entering the transfer portal. He ultimately ended up at Oral Roberts. Good for him. A uh, good program. They do have a new coach. Then on March 23rd, the following day, Cliff Omori declared for the NBA draft, obviously an early entrant. But that really kept us on the edge of our seats for two months, not knowing what if Cliff would return or not. Oscar Palmquist entered the portal on March 24th. Ended up at Elon. Things came full circle at the end, which we'll touch on. Dean Reber. Transfer portal March 27th. So within 12 days of the season ending, you had three players enter the transfer portal a year after no one did, but three players that seemed logical at the time, pretty much the last three in the rotation on the bench, leaving for more opportunity, so to speak. March 30th, three days later, Paul Mokehi enters the NBA early entrant draft pool. So then now April, things start to get pretty interesting. Carl Hobbs, it was reported. Uh, doesn't mean that it, you know, it was worked on. It was rumored up until that point, but officially broke the news on April 12th that Carl Hobbs, longtime assistant for Steve Peichel was leaving. Ultimately he ended up at Georgia tech 
Um, I think it really was a matter of just the time had come. You know, he had uh, he had a role. He was a senior guy when he first got to Rutgers. Pico really needed that initially. And then over time, Brandon Knight really grew into that role. He, they both had the associate head coaching title for a while. And then Hobbs moved on and, and got an opportunity with Damon Sotomayor, Georgia Tech. Remember that name, Georgia Tech. So good for Carl Hobbs, and thanks for all he did for the program. Then good news the next day, Noah Fernandes, UMass transfer, commits to Rutgers, had visited a few days prior. Huge, huge, huge pickup for the program. I think this season will prove that. But also just in the context of the offseason, the way in which things went, um, nabbing Fernandes so early on was really a stabilizing move and also a move that allowed the coaching staff to have a natural path to transition when Mulcahy and Spencer ultimately transferred out. April 21st, so eight days after Noah Fernandes committed, Lathan Somerville, four-star big man, class of 24, commits to Rutgers. Ends up having a tremendous summer, played at the Peach Jam, played at EYBL, super talented big man that in his early development as a player was a guard, had a growth spurt, and his father played overseas in Europe with TJ Thompson, current Rutgers assistant. So there's a really strong relationship there. And Lathan Somerville has gotten better and better. He, you know, is a really big uh, forward. He's physical, he can rebound, but he also has some finesse. He's got some real offensive skills for a big man. He has a lot of upside. I'm really excited about him uh, in the class of 24, top 100 big man overall, or top 100 prospect overall. And then six days later, it's like a roller coaster. We're up and now we're down. Benadongo feared to be leaving following the departure of Carl Hobbs. And Benadongo officially announces his decommitment, a four star wing. I think it's important also to remember uh, that when Oscar Palmquist did leave, Benadongo was in the picture. So, in addition to Cam and Paul, Benadongo was in the picture. So Paul, uh, Oscar's outlook for playing time um, was, was significantly different than it is now in his return. I really like Benadongo. I think he's going to be really good. Ultimately, he committed to Georgia Tech, where Carl Hobbs ended up. And by the way, just in terms of, you know, etiquette or whatever, I mean, you know, Hobbs was his lead recruiter. He had the relationships, uh, although it was not ideal for Nadongo to follow him. I don't think there was any line crossed, so to speak. Uh, I think it would have been different if Hobbs took a current player on the roster. I think that, you know, that that Rutgers didn't want to leave. I think that would have been a whole different scenario. Um, so then the real Sunderson so this quiet for about a month, not hearing a lot. And then on May 19th, Friday, May 19th, Cam Spencer drops the bombshell that he's leaving. He was, they were preparing at this point, right? This is right before Memorial Day. Rutgers is preparing to gear the offense. Uh, obviously, they're hoping Cliff still returns, but they're gearing things around Cam Spencer. Noah Fernandes is a distributor. Uh, Cam is going to be the feature, featured guard, right? He shot really well. He was a big-time scorer for Rutgers at times. Yes, I know people gripe that, you know, there's certain big games he didn't play well, and sure, but he's, 
you know, he had one of the best statistical seasons in Rutgers history, single season, in terms of shooting threes, shooting free throws, and steals, all in the top six, all time. So, please, massive loss, ultimately ends up at UConn. Then you have, three days later, Rutgers officially hires Marlon Williamson as the assistant to replace Carl Hobbs. A little bit of a curveball in the sense of his recent stops. Uh, he was at um, Central Michigan. He had been at um, LIU. He coached with Brandon Knight at Pitt. Obvious relationship there. Does have some strong recruiting ties, especially in Michigan, Detroit, the family AU program he used to run. And he's been pretty active on the recruiting trail ever since. The next day, four-star point guard Delquan Warren decommits from Rutgers. And that's when people start to ramp up and get nervous, a little panic, a few days after Cam leaves. And more questions persist, right? And all of a sudden, those that wanted to create a perception that the program was reeling, those rolled in. Good news is back. A week later, eight days later, May 31st, Cliff Amore announces his return, which you could argue, I think, I don't even know if it's an argument, in terms of the context for next season, that was the biggest news of the offseason in terms of Cliff returning. Obviously, a huge staple for this program, a centerpiece down low, two-way player. Obviously, room to grow and develop offensively. He made real strides defensively. Massive, massive return for Cliff. And that happened. Now, this is when the offseason also, was not really a specific date, but Paul Mulcahy did not officially announce he was back. Reports came out once the NBA announced the early withdrawal uh, names that Paul Mulcahy was included. So he did. We knew he withdrew from the draft. We did not hear an announcement that he was returning to Rutgers. That created some speculation. And then you also had Jermichael Davis, incoming freshman guard. The signing period had passed, and there was no announcement. So this was where people started to panic about him as well. June. Ninth, so about a week after we never heard about Paul Mulcahy's return announcement, he enters the transfer portal June 9th. Now, a reminder Cam Spencer and Paul Mulcahy could enter the transfer portal so late because they're grad transfers. So, Cam entered a few days after the undergrad transfer portal deadline passed. Meaning, if you're an undergrad and you try to transfer now past the deadline, you have to sit out the next year automatically. Cam's a grad transfer. He could do that. I've talked about this at length. His value went up, and then boom, he's in the portal. Now, the tra the uh, transfer portal, the early withdrawal deadline for the NBA passed. Certain teams had players leave. Paul Mulcahy enters the transfer portal because he can as a grad transfer. A week later, boom, his value goes up on the open market. That was... As stunning as, as Cam Spencer was, I think Paul is definitely stun more of a stunner simply because he, of his history with Rutgers, of his, what he meant to the rebuild, of what he meant to the core group of players that made Rutgers successful and relevant once again. 
uh, it, it still, I think, is a bit shocking, even though, you know, everyone's moved on now. Uh, that was that was a moment. And, you know, I said this last night on the spaces I had on Twitter. If COVID never happens, Paul Mulcahy never transfers out. He doesn't have that extra year. So his legacy, right or wrong, is going to look a lot different now that he ended up leaving. So that's an interesting what if. Obviously, COVID happened. Obviously, the extra year became available. And Paul Mulcahy left the program on June 9th. Four days later, June 13th, Bryce Dorch, four-star wing, class of 24, commits the Rutgers. Really good get there. Uh, rangy, two-way player, uh, gutsy defender, can create his own offense. He's going to really develop. And, and I've said this before, but in the 24 class, to have Somerville and Dorch, you know, they're going to be foundational guys. They have high ceilings, but they're also going to be multi-year guys. They're going to probably be three, four-year guys, knock on wood. And to couple them with potentially two one-and-done players, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, it brings stability. It brings stability. You know, a lot of these top programs, they're getting three, four, five players in the class, and they're all staying one to two years, and then you're constantly recycling. And to foster the culture that way and to develop players that way, it's very hard. So Rutgers right now looks like in the class of 24, they have a kind of the best of both worlds. They have a balance there. We'll see. Uh Soon after that, don't have a specific date. It was it was it was a few days later. Gavin Griffiths, uh, you know, officially arrives to Michael Davis. Soon after that, his signing is announced. So mid mid to late June, Gavin Griffiths to Michael Davis, class of twenty three, arrive within the program. Start doing summer workouts uh, as summer workouts started in mid June. Great news there, and then we had a real lull, uh, which created some panic too. <laughs> Um, you had Paul Mulcahy uh, commit to Washington. Then you had a period where there was no announcement. They dropped the roster. He wasn't on there. There was speculation uh, that he was trying to return. At the end of the day, he ends up at Washington. Steve Peichel fills out his roster. I think in a way that, A, he got three players that are fits, fit the current roster, fit the program, fit the strategy, fit the vision. And to do so in July and August, so Jeremiah Williams officially committed on July 27th. Austin Williams committed this past Saturday on August 5th. Both of them obviously were in the works over the month of July. And then Oscar Palmquist, I reported on Saturday, August 5th, was officially back with the program. Full circle, only appropriate, kind of the last bit of roster news is announced as Oscar Palmquist, who had left in March, and I've talked about this a bunch, but, you know, I do think he's actually a better fit for the roster this year than last year. I think he's probably going to be around the 10th guy, depending on how Jamichael Davis does, depending on Antonio Chole. But he offers him a specific skill set as a shooter off the bench, spot up three, was able to stay ready last year. Great culture guy, great teammate. At the 11th hour like this, it's a value add. And... Jeremiah Williams offers a lot of value for next year, most likely a two-time sit-out. Uh, did apply for the waiver, not likely to get it. And then Austin Williams is a huge veteran pickup, impact, impact, uh, impact pickup, a player that offers a unique skill set to Rutgers, the biggest guard, a good rebounding guard. Uh, he can create his own offense. He can score inside 
uh, shot 56% from two and can get to the free throw line at a really high rate. So he's also got a very good assist rate. So as I discussed with the roster, you have the additions of Noah Fernandes, Austin Williams, Jermichael Davis, Jeremiah Williams in the backcourt. Four new backcourt players for Rutgers. Again, Jeremiah Williams unlikely to play, plus Derek Simpson returning for year two, where we hope he takes that leap in his second year. Then on the wing, you have the highest signed recruit in program history, Gavin Griffiths. You have Andre Hyatt back. You have Oscar Palmquist back. You have Antonio Chol. And then up in the front court, you have Cliff back. You have Mag back. You have Antoine Wolf, Wolfolk, who Steve Peichel told Jerry Carino was the most improved player this offseason. Again, another first to second year development guy who also has given up football now. His sky, his ceiling is really high, and I'm really excited to see what he can do. And then Emmanuel Bogle, Agbole, who I said was injured, and turns out he does have a, a, ter- a torn ACL. So he's going to be out for a while. I think he will be available this season. Uh, that's the plan, but certainly not the first month. Probably a little bit after that. We'll see. But that's the roster. They have some walk-ons as well. But on over all of this is East Bailey, the number two commit, uh, recruit in the class of 24, having a tremendous summer on the independent circuit. He just won the Curry MVP, Curry Camp MVP with all the elite players in the class of 24. And scouts, analysts, recruiting analysts, everybody are just raving about his development this offseason. The fact that he's, uh, he's become a more complete player. His athleticism is off the charts. Uh, his physicality, his skill level, his talent. But he's developing a complete game. He is a true red defender. But his vision, his ability to share the basketball, create offense for his teammates, he's he's next level. And there's 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 some rumblings about him being the number one recruit in the class. And then all over everything else is Dylan Harper. A lot of steam picking up in terms of re- recruiting analysts, projecting Dylan Harper to Rutgers. So, uh, people thinking that he's going to commit to somewhere very soon. Duke and Indiana fans getting very, very salty online about the idea that they will get passed over by Dylan Harper. Uh, what a time to be alive. And we'll see what happens. But it's been a wild offseason wild offseason and Rutgers is now closed on their roster they're looking to close out a historic class of 24 could end up being ranked number one North Carolina still is pretty high I don't know if they do add Dylan Harper will they mathematically be ahead of North Carolina the rankings change a little bit too but worst case would be number two Cooper Flagg Everyone's raving about class of 25 may reclassify. I've joked before in the spaces I had on Twitter, if it ends up being Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey, number two and number three in the class of 24, for long-suffering Rutgers fans, we will take that. If it's the number two class in the country, we'll take it. Would it be an awesome story to have the one and two players in the class and number one class? Sure. Does it really mean anything? Mm, It's not going to stop the hype. Things are looking up, and I do think that this year's team coming up based on the roster that Rutgers built out is going to be a fun roster. They're going to be faster. They're going to be more up-tempo. They're going to be more dynamic offensively. The spacing is going to be better in the half court. I think you're going to have more competition within the roster for minutes 
which is always a good thing. The core rotation I, I've spoken about, but the core eight I'm, I, I project. Uh, you have Cliff, Mag, and Antoine Wolfolk inside. Obviously, Mag can play a little bit on the wing. You have Gavin Griffiths and Andre Hyatt. And then you have Austin Williams, Derek Simpson, Noah Fernandes. I think that's the top eight looking that way. We'll see. Anything could happen. And then Jermichael Davis, Oscar Palmquist, and potentially Antonio Chol fighting for minutes in the back end of that rotation. Who knows who breaks out, but I'm excited. And then the future, class of 24, we're on Dylan Harper commitment watch. We'll see what happens. Ace Bailey, uh, just, I mean, watch watch film, watch highlights of him. He, he's just ridiculous. Uh, it's a good time to be a Rutgers basketball fan. Thank you for listening and watching to the Scarlet Faithful podcast once again. And I'll talk to you.